Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McLean, and you can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan, and you can reach me at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N on Twitter. Greg, have you ever had a PK cleanse? No, and I, I know what you're talking about, and I read about it with Aaron Rodgers this week, and I didn't want to follow up on it, and it just sounded kind of morbid. So uh, let's just put it at, no, I haven't had one. No, so you're not into forced vomiting, uh, forced diarrhea, and bloodletting? Uh, no, all the I, I I I do the unintentional the unintentional stuff, not not <laughs> nothing forced. So. I wondered about bloodletting if they put leeches on you back like they did back in the medieval period. But I'll tell you what, after Rogers explained it and he came out of it after nine days and he felt great and he put all those things out on Instagram praising his team, his teammates, he just felt wonderful. Uh, if he put in there that I lost about fifteen pounds, I might have to try that. PK cleanse. What do we got on our agenda today? You know, John, the Super Bowl was less than two weeks ago, and now we're already going to be talking about the combine. Where did the NFL offseason go? Remember back in the day, you'd, you'd have a few weeks to decompress or just like put last season in the rearview mirror, and now it's like there's, I mean, the, the NFL has created this year-round calendar, but it just seems ridiculous this year because the combine is going to start next week. I mean, there's barely any time between the season ending and you know the the off season truly beginning, and it seems like we just can't get away from this NFL monster. Well, and that's the way the NFL wants it. Usually, the combines in late February, so it's been pushed back because of the 17 game schedule, and it pushed back the Super Bowl. Let me tell you, how it used to be uh, before anybody paid any attention to the combine. The Super Bowl was over. And I just take off until we got to the draft. Nobody the combine was in Seattle. It was in Dallas. Nobody covered it. Uh, it was not on television. You didn't even hear anything about it. So about two weeks before the draft in late April, I'd start doing stories. And then I think it was 85 that I started going to the combine. And this is the first one I've missed other than the pandemic one last year. Brooks Cabina is going. It's Brooks' first, and he's all excited about it. As he should be, because it's the, it's it's to me of the off season, the thing I like to do the most of the combine and the second is the NFL meetings, uh, which is always at a resort. You have coaches for an hour at a breakfast. You can do general managers. You see owners. Everybody is in such a relaxed uh, state of mind. Although this year, with Brian Flores' lawsuit and the Washington sex scandal, they're going to have a lot more on their agenda than football. But back then, it it was the draft, and then after the draft, you wrote a couple of weeks, and then you had the training camp. When I first started this, Greg, there were six exhibition games. I didn't call them preseason. There were six exhibition games. So training camp was two months. The first week was for rookies. Then the veterans would start to trickle in, and training camp was starting early July. I remember the first time I went in 1977 in Nacogdoches, Baseball All-Star game was about 10 days after camp began, and I went to the kitchen at our dormitory at Stephen F. Austin to look at the All-Star game on an old black-and-white TV. And a guy came and sat next to me, and I stuck my hand out, and I said, I'm John McLean from the Chronicle, and I'm here because Hal Lundgren, who's, who had been on the beat for like 14 years, 
he was at a church camp, and I said, I'm John McClain. He said, Wade. And that's how I met Wade Phillips in 1977. But now it's nonstop. You know, if you think about this, you go from combine, then you go to pro days. Then teams have private workouts, lunches and dinners with prospects. Then they can bring 30 of them to their facility. And then you have a local kind of combine where local prospects come to the facility. And then you're ready for the draft. And then after the well, even before that, the off-season program begins before the draft, and and that extends till June at the end of the veterans mini camp. So, really, it's about the middle of June to the middle of July when teams are actually able to take some time off, and mostly teams will take like two weeks. and And of course, the NFL eats this up. You know, the NFL Network turned out to be one of the greatest inventions. It took the combine to another level. And uh, it kept it generated even more interest in the off season, and they love it. And of course, the other sp- sports do not love it because the NFL gets so much attention. And Greg, that's one reason it's the most popular sport in the country. Very true. Let's shift away from the old underwear Olympics to the uh, Texans. They unveiled their coaching staff this week. I don't think there were too many surprises. There's no defensive coordinator. Lovey Smith will be the defensive play caller as head coach. One thing I found interesting, and you you wrote about the running game this week and how they hope to revamp it. Danny Barrett, who was a running backs coach under Bill O'Brien, then under David Culley, they had terrible rushing attacks both years, was retained as running backs coach for a third different head coach. What is it about this man that keeps him around? despite no results from the running game the last few years? Well, that's because they've had no talent. They've had no talent at running back, and that's not his fault. He takes the players given to him. If Rex Burkhead is your leading rusher, and he had fewer yards rushing than any of the Texans' leaders through the through the years, uh, that's not his fault. And when he had Carlos Hyde in 2019, Carlos had the best season of his career, and they, they were able to run the ball effectively, and they thought they had their offensive line problem settled after that season with Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard as the tackles. And then, of course, that fell apart too. And I think it tells you something where they think the blame is that they're now in their third offensive line coach in three years. It's interesting about Danny Barrett. He was a great Canadian football league quarterback who played for 14 years, once threw for 601 yards, which was the CFL record at the time. He was a rookie in the Canadian Football League at Warren Moon's last season. And the last season, Moon won a great cup before he came to Houston. But Danny Barrett was valued by by uh, O'Brien and David Culley and now uh, Lovey Smith, but also Pep Hamilton. It's obvious from these coaching hires, Pep Hamilton is getting the guys he wants. Every one of them, almost every offensive hire is someone he's coached with, and several of them, including George Warhop, Coached with Lovey Smith as well. One thing I found funny about Danny Barrett, he he doesn't really get mentioned by fans. Like fans wanted to fire Mike Devlin, they want to fire Tim Kelly, they wanted to fire Anthony Weaver. Nobody ever mentioned Danny Barrett for the running game struggles. I guess they knew the uh, the the symptoms were elsewhere. Well, I think they realize when you've got David Johnson and he's over the hill, and then you've got Rex Burkhead and and Lindsey and those guys, and, and they traded his leading rusher. Ingram and all those things are out of his hands. But I feel very strongly 
that he's going to get a high pick, not a first-round pick. And in that column I wrote, I pointed out all the all the running backs who were drafted outside the first round, top 10 and of the top rushers, and all the best ones came in the second round. And then you'll have guys in the third round, like Damian Harris from New England, Antonio Gibson from Washington were third-round picks, Elijah Mitchell, the 49ers leading rusher and a rookie this season. He was a sixth-round pick. But Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, and Derrick Henry were all taken in the second round. So if I am if I remember correctly, and I might be off on this, Greg, but in Casario's time in New England, in which Bill Belichick had final say, the only back they took in the first round was Sonny Michel, who just won a Super Bowl ring with the Rams, and he was at the bottom of the first round. So I think that they'll use that first pick, hopefully, on an offensive lineman who will be someone who can kick some serious butt in the running game as well as pass protect. And when you pick high, you got your choice of the, one of the two top guys, Evan Neal from Alabama or Iki Aquanu from North Carolina State. And then maybe in the second round, uh, take a running back. I feel strongly that he may trade down in the second round because there's so many prospects, but he has got to improve the running game and it starts up front because unless you got a Hall of Fame running back, they're not going to make holes where there, there are no holes. Very true. John, you covered the NFL for a long time. Can you remember the last time the Cincinnati Bengals were mentioned as an archetype for an organizational turnaround? What I'm talking about is Lovey Smith has gone on some national interviews of late, you know, Rich Eisen, Peter King. He's kind of mentioned the Bengals and you know their turnaround from four wins to the Super Bowl and basically saying, why not us? And I, I can't remember the last time the Bengals were ever used as a template for anything other than you know ineptitude. And this may be the only time they are. I think every team out there that won four games, and of course, Lovey Smith doesn't believe they're going to do that because Davis Mills is not Joe Burrow and everybody knows it, even though he will be their starting quarterback going into next season. But I think it's something you use with your players. Lovey's been doing a, a local and national media tour since he was hired. He talked to the fans, answered their question one night. Those are the kind of things they couldn't get Bill O'Brien to do, and they feel comfortable putting Lovey out there. And, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to dream. But truthfully, even though we don't know, Greg, who's going to be on the roster, they won four games. They lost some others by three points and one touchdown despite all their issues on both sides of the ball and a rookie quarterback. Uh, I think next year if they could win seven, eight games, uh, that would be uh, a huge sign of improvement and people would be happy. And then maybe in 2023 they'd be competitive for a wild card berth or maybe even the division title, depending if uh, Davis Mills develops the way they hope he does. If he doesn't next season, then then they'll – to target a quarterback in 2023. John, speaking of Davis Mills, our colleague Brian T. Smith had a column in today's Chronicle basically saying, time to pump the brakes a little bit. You know, Texans fans or media that have been talking up Davis Mills this week. I, I heard the phrase Mills mania used on uh, Sports Radio 610 where you make appearances. Is that a product, a byproduct of the silly season and not much to talk about here in Houston right now? Or uh, is uh are people really going overboard with Davis Mills? Well, I haven't seen it. I mean, I 
here's what Mills is. He looked really good over the last five games. He was better over the last five than Mac Jones was. He was the second best rookie quarterback last season to Mac Jones, and that includes all those other first-round picks, and he did it with the worst running game in franchise history and the worst in the NFL and a bad defense and that uh, that uh, gave up too many points. And so uh, if you swapped him, put him New England, where they had a good running game and a good defense, I'm guessing he'd been even better. And if you brought Mac Jones here and put him in that situation, people wouldn't have been talking about him very much. So uh, I wrote uh, right after Lovey Smith was hired, and uh, which he said that he likes Mills. That's not a position that they have to improve. And he believes in Pep. Pep has a lot of confidence in Mills uh, going into next season. And he reiterated that again this week, and he'll do interviews at the Combine next week. He likes him, Casario likes him, and, and Pep Hamilton likes him. Now, do they like him forever? No. They like him just going into next season. Anybody using Mills mania, that's that's preposterous. It shouldn't. It's no Mills mania. I know John Lopez in 610 and I got into it this week because he said that the ceiling for Mills is Brian Hoyer. And I said, well, first of all, I don't know what the ceiling is for him because he's a rookie quarterback. And I put this in my mailbag for a reader who thinks Mills is a bum and they need another quarterback. All the Hall of Fame quarterbacks he bombed out as rookies. Then people say, you're comparing him to the Hall of Fame quarterback? I said, I am for their rookie year. Those guys were terrible, and the fans and the media wanted them gone. And being eight, like Aikman didn't even win a game as a rookie, and he was the first overall pick. So the, it's time to pump the brakes and consider the situation. He's going to be the starting quarterback in the next season, and if he continues to improve, he'll remain the quarterback. And if he doesn't, they'll find somebody else. Uh, John, speaking of quarterbacks, something I forgot to mention about the coaching staff, are you surprised Josh McCown wasn't on it? Well, when I found out why, you know, and, and he said he, I was told that he's just not ready. Lovey Smith would have hired him if McCown wanted to come on the staff. But here's what I think without being told. If you're a guy and you're about to be named a head coach and they pull the rug out from under you, I'm not eager to go to work for those guys. So I'm guessing he'll stay at Rusk High School where his son, his youngest son will be the starting quarterback. Last year, his oldest son was, and the younger one was the backup. And he had an interview in the Tyler Morning Telegraph in which he said last year was the most fun he'd had in football. And then maybe he'll want to be an assistant coach the year after. There's no doubt he's going to be an assistant coach in the NFL. It's just a matter of where. And if you think about right now, Greg, hiring Lovey Smith brought uh, some calm to a tumultuous situation of hiring a guy who had no experience beyond high school. And it doesn't matter how talented they thought he was or how good he could become. It just wouldn't have been the right situation. They were going to keep Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton and Romeo Cornell, and they were going to be there to advise him. But Jack Easterby, who's the one that first recommended him, who brought him into the organization when he was the interim general manager, he was all about McCown being the head coach. And so that was another reason to pump the brakes. And then somebody over there, I don't know who it was, maybe it's Casario, maybe it was Cal and Anna McNair, maybe, but somebody said, let's take a step back and reevaluate this situation. And Brian Flores, he, he, his attorney said he would have been hired if not for the lawsuit. No, Josh McCown was going to be hired, not, not Brian Flores. So 
they decided they wanted a minority. Lovey Smith's right there in front of their nose, and they said, well, let's see if Lovey wants to interview. And, of course, he did because he's always wanted another chance. It's like the column I did on him where he said, I got unfinished business as an NFL head coach, fired at Chicago after a 10-6 and season, fired in Tampa after a four-game improvement with a rookie quarterback, and and so he was hoping for a third chance. And uh, I can tell you one thing, Greg, he will not be fired after one season. No way the Texans are going to have two one-and-done coaches. I think you can take that to the bank. Um, you mentioned Brian Flores. What are your thoughts on him being hired by the Steelers as a defensive assistant slash linebackers coach? I was shocked. I thought there's no way he would work in the NFL again. And I've used this example. If you or I were suing the Hearst Corporation and we applied for a job with the Chronicle, would the Chronicle hire us? Of course not. Odyssey on 610. If I was suing Odyssey and I was applying for a job at 610, would they hire me? Of course not. And the Steelers hired him. As Flores told Bryant Gumble. he called Mike Tomlin for some advice on Thursday. They started talking, and then Flores uh, got a job on Friday. And, of course, he still wants to be a head coach. But it's got to be an awkward situation. You're suing your your owner, and you're trying to get him to open his books and do things he's never done. And uh, But the Rooney Rule is named after Dan Rooney, the son of Art Rooney, the founder, Art Rooney Sr. And so uh, the, the Steelers should get a lot of tributes for looking beyond that lawsuit and just trying to improve their coaching staff because everybody says Brian Flores is a real good coach. Now, the Steelers are, I think they're an organization secure enough in their ways to do something like that, where they wouldn't, you know, worry about external backlash or anything like that. John, I wanted to close with one thing. Um, I never really, I really, really always took spring training for granted every year. Granted, I don't, I mean, I follow the Astros, but spring training, not something I'm really, I keep a lot of eyeballs on, but you know what, man, I really miss it this year. Cause this, this week might be the most boring sports week in Houston, not induced by a pandemic that we've ever had. There's nothing going on, and you really miss spring training now, don't you? And, and you have time off after the basketball all-star game before the Rockets crank it up again. And what I'm eager to see about the Rockets, since they're one of the worst teams again, is I'm already trying to look ahead to think about who they could be drafting in the first round. And without baseball, uh They've got a a meeting coming up, and they said if it's not done by then, you know, the start of the regular season is not going to happen. And they can always push it back a little bit. And they're still going to have spring training because the players need it. And I'm always wondering why is spring training so necessary when players should be taking care of themselves all year round. And as I used to love going to Kissimmee, and the reason was Drake McLean, Carol and I would sit with him and his wife, Elizabeth, to watch the Astros. And I want to talk about the Astros. And he wanted to talk about Baylor most of the time. And uh, I like going to West Palm Beach. I love their facility. But what I like the most, Greg, is going on the road with the Astros to see the other facilities. And we've been to several of them, and I miss that a lot. And uh, I'm I'm bummed about it, as a lot of fans are. And I, I can't remember if I talked to you about this, But there was a great story in The Athletic by Jason Stark, one of the all-time great baseball writers who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it was things baseball could learn about, could learn from football. And a lot of it had to do with start times, not changing the game to be like football, 
But he had some great things that all the negotiations for baseball are about money. It's not about improving the game. And uh, one of the things that he used that I, as an old timer who used to watch pitchers throw complete games, if they were pulled, they would be insulted. He said, could you imagine Joe Burrow on the last drive being pulled for the backup quarterback? Could you imagine on the Rams game-winning drive, they pull Matthew Stafford and put the backup in there, which is what baseball does. They pull the starter and they put in relievers. And you mean like uh, Zach Ranky being pulled for Will Harris? Yeah, yeah, that's a good example. Instead of letting your best guy pitch some more, and and I thought that was great. And baseball, you know, is always so reluctant to change. But I wish that they could do a ten-year bargaining agreement like football, where we didn't have these problems. They do it every five years, and they start writing and broadcasting about it a year ahead of time. So it's almost like once you get settled into baseball it's time for the two sides to go to war. And we've been through strikes now. We've got lockout. And people just want the game because it's a great game. And the only advantage I could see, Greg, to to missing games and, and saying the start of the season was delayed, maybe Carlos Correa wouldn't get $300 million from another team and he'd have to sign a one-year deal with the Astros and we could see him again because the idea – of losing Springer and Correa, which is inevitable in back-to-back seasons, kind of makes me sick to my stomach as a longtime Astros fan. But I'm also very eager to see if they have any more young players coming up like Jeremy Pena at shortstop, if they're going to sign somebody like Trevor Story, the money that they offered um, Correa. They could get somebody like Story, but it's always exciting for spring training, and then people get pumped about regular season. And we know it'll come, Greg. It'll come and we'll be fans again. But it sure is disappointing when uh, you don't have the uh, spring training in Florida and Arizona. Very well said. I'm John McClain. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan. You can reach me at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N on Twitter. Greg, thank you very much. We want to thank everybody for listening and reading The Chronicle and Chronicle and Texas Sports Nation and also for watching our TV shows on Channel 2 and AT&T Sports Nation.